0: Need to announce you. Okay, and now for our second message today, our sermon from Mr. Lawrence Gregory. They watched him there, Mr. Gregory. Good afternoon, everyone. Have you ever watched someone die? If of a loved one or a friend, it's a very difficult experience, especially a close loved one. Unfortunately, many die unexpectedly, sometimes alone, unprepared, leaving much in life undone and unsaid. Occasionally, some die prepared with their loved ones around them, with their house set in order, all loose ends tied up. But most and many die and some in an obscure notice without uh, anyone knowing about it. Some die with public fanfare. Most one has said he or she died well. But none have died as Jesus did a conscious, willful act of death for an unequaled purpose. His death is the most talked about, written about, sung about, preached about of any human being. Now, we all know it wasn't a suicide, it wasn't a heroic act of uh, giving his life for, to save someone in a disaster, or like in war, a hero giving his life for a few in wartime. But uh, let's notice a few things about the death of Jesus. In Matthew, the 27th chapter, we read in verse 35, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. Now, who is this they? If we go back to verse uh, 27, we'll see, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into a common hall, and uh, then they took him out to uh, the place in verse 33 called uh, Golgotha that is to say, a place of the skull, and then they crucified him, and they watched him there. Now let's notice a few uh, different people and what their attitude was, and those who were looking on at the death of Jesus. In verse uh, 38, then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left, and they, that's people, passed by, reviled him, wagging their heads. In verse 41, likewise also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, you know, let him save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, Staros, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified him cast the same in his teeth. And so in Mark, let's go to Mark, see what uh, some of the other gospel writers said about this instance. In Mark, the 15th chapter, verse 32. Verse 31, the chief priests mocking, we've already read that about them with the scribes. Verse 32, let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And in verse 40, there were also women looking on afar off. And in Luke, the 23rd chapter, Verse 35, and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, and the verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And in verse 48, and all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding those things. And in John the 19th chapter and verse 37. And again another scripture said, they shall look on him whom they pierced. So We see here so many different attitudes, some people standing afar off, some people just behold Him, looking at Him, deriding Him, mocking Him, uh, scoffing at Him. And all the emphasis is on Jesus Christ and what they're experiencing as they look at Him. And we could bring that down to modern day times and ask, you know, how do we consider the experience that Jesus went through on the cross? Now we've just gone through uh, a few months ago, uh, Passover time, Unleavened Bread, then Pentecost, and the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. And we're still talking because the center focus of all the scriptures and the Holy Days revolve around Jesus Christ. And the twofold important thing about his death and his life. We'll see about that a little later. In his six hours that he spent on the staros, or the cross, or the stake, however you want to translate that Greek word, the tree, the pole. Uh, His love, his concern, the conversations uh, with others. Most of the things that he said and did were not about himself. Some of it was directed to fulfill a scripture that was in reference to him as he fulfilled the scriptures about himself. But so many If we just look at time after time after time, so many people verbally abused him. And yet, some glorified God when they saw and heard, as we'll see a little later, what was happening and what all uh, transpired on that cross. Then they glorified God. Now, uh, there are different uh, references of the, quote, seven sayings of Jesus on the cross seven statements that he made some put them in a little different order but uh, because it's a little confusing when you go through all the gospel uh, accounts so you have to look at sometimes the hours and sometimes because the hours are, are different they're writing from a different perspective then uh, it's a little difficult but those seven sayings that we have that Jesus said on the, and I'm gonna call it just the cross today for for the sake of, uh, sake of saying that word that is written in our English for the Greek word staros, and we've heard about that a few weeks ago. But uh, those seven things that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. I thirst. Verily I say unto you today, shall you be with me in paradise? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, and it is finished. Now, if we look at these sayings and categorize uh, what these seven sayings are, and generally this is the order, it seems the most practical of uh, what he was saying because of the things that were going on in the six hours that he was there on that uh, stake. What he said, we have three times he had a prayer. Twice he invoked the Father's name and then one, just my God. Three of his statements or requests were concerned for other people. And uh, only once did he have a request for himself for a drink when he said he thirsts, but was a fulfillment of a scripture in the Old Testament that was written of him. Uh, Two times he quoted scriptures in Psalms uh, 69 and Psalm 22. Two times in those six hours he directly quoted scriptures that were Uh, written about him, and then one time he had a final statement of completion, and I, I guess we could probably say he's the only man that ever lived that could have said at the end of his life, everything that he was given to do, everything that he wanted to accomplish, everything that he wanted to say, everything in his life, he could wrap it up and say, it's finished, and that seems to be the last thing that he said. Now, briefly, let's let's see a few things because um, about his death because I've shared some of this in previous messages and others have, but uh, I want us to review uh, the significance of uh, what we're reading here in uh, back in Isaiah 53rd chapter. And we won't go through all those verses. I know uh, Steve likes to uh, preach from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. I've referenced it over the years, but we'll just look at... Uh, one verse here in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. We'll come down to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, I looked up in the Hebrew uh, a couple of these words that will help us maybe a little uh, better understand. When it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This Hebrew word means to uh, beat to pieces, to break, to bruise, to smite. And we know the scripture says that he was abused or beaten or suffered more than any man that has ever lived. And you can think of, the crucifixion, the pain and the ordeal and the agony that he was going through, hanging up there for six hours with his blood bleeding out and his life he knows is going to be ended in death and uh, having all of that pain and suffering, he just wasn't doing this for himself. He just wasn't doing it for one or two persons. He wasn't doing it just as a hero to, save somebody in war or to save a few from a disaster, but he did this for every single human being and we know that. And so God beat him up, bruised him, broke him, smote him. And then the word here, he, God, has put him, Jesus, to grief. And this word grief is uh, afflicted, wounded, Travail with pain. Now just stop and think what we would experience hanging up there nailed to that cross in whatever form it was for six hours. Because it was from the third hour to the ninth hour from uh, nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. He hung there six hours for us. John the tenth chapter. and verse 17 and 18. Verse 17, just breaking into some of the things that he's saying here. Therefore, does my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And so you've heard me say, some of you that are newer maybe have not heard me say this in past years, but here is one of the great proofs that Jesus Christ was divine, God in the flesh, because only God could lay down his life and take it up again. And we see other scriptures that tell us it was by the power of God, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was by Jesus' own power when after three days and three nights, he awakened from death. Because it says, the scripture says, death could not be holden to him. Death couldn't keep him. He had to be resurrected and come back to life again. And this was in fulfillment of all those scriptures and he himself that said, after three days and three three nights. So notice from his perspective, He's saying, nobody's taking my life from me. Yes, he was murdered, he was killed. The men nailed him to the stake. And then at the end, they shoved that spear into his side and came out blood and water. And uh, we know all the things that he suffered, those, well, the night before and then during that uh, six hours on the stake. But Hebrews, the second chapter, this is... uh, think what I was referring, referencing to uh, just a few moments ago, Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, made a human being, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. We know that, and that's a central theme of our preaching over the years so many times of what Jesus has done for you and I, for everyone. The life that he gave was for us, that death for us. Second Corinthians the fifth chapter. And verse, second Corinthians fifth chapter, verse 14. 14 and 15. For the love of Christ. Constraineth us. Because we thus judge. That if one died. I don't know why I'm getting all of that. Echo and feedback. I can hear it up there. Can you hear it out there? I'm not sure. if We'll just proceed. For the love of Christ. Constraineth us. Because we thus judge. That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And in Romans, the fifth chapter. Now there's so many scriptures and references on this, but this is just a few that I wanted us to uh, uh, just... To remind ourselves and to focus on this. in Romans the 5th chapter and um, verse 10. But if when we were enemies, we were sinners, we were enemies. We were reconciled. And that is we were made friends. Uh, the enmity was a part we were brought together. To God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled we shall be saved by His life. And so we have a lot of scriptures that tell us we're saved by grace, we're saved by faith, we're saved by hope, we're saved by His life. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit working in us, helping us to overcome and to grow. But these two things about Jesus is that He died for us, became sin, took our sins upon Himself, and then He was resurrected after three days and three nights, So we have a living Savior who is a high priest who is there now. By his life, he is able to live in us and work in us and help us to overcome and answer our prayers. And so he's a living Savior, not a dead Savior hanging on a cross like so many want to have this physical human being still on that stake. But he's alive. He's no longer on that. But in order to go through that, it had to be by death for us then a period in the grave, and then life. Now, we appreciate uh, all of those who've uh, given their life for us, uh, for our soldiers and for military men, and for uh, the benefits that we have because of the great freedoms that we have of people who have sacrificed their life for, for us. But um, we're limited in our expression for those folks, we want to identify them as hero, heroes or we thank them. But Jesus is something else. He's the only one that we worship, we praise, that we extol, that we lift up and glorify Him for what He has done for us. Now, we've considered before in other messages about the uh, pre-planning of God in uh, all of the... Uh, different things that He looked ahead before there was ever any creation, before there was ever any existence of anything physical. We've looked at those scriptures to uh, look ahead to see what Jesus has done for us and for what He planned a long time ago. But uh, let's go to 1 Peter, the first chapter. And we'll just look at uh, this one chapter here of a few verses. 1 Peter 1 verse 17 And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or conduct or life, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by Him do believe in God that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. And we've talked uh, before about the uh, reconciliation that we have by faith, by hope, by believing in Him and our relationship through the Holy Spirit with, uh, with Jesus Christ. So, I want to uh, examine a little closer now uh, a couple of things that happened uh, while he was uh, on the stake that some of us old time members, we pretty much in studying and going over this many times in our own studies and our own um, and messages here, know and understand this, but uh, let's go to uh, examine and look a little closer here at... Uh, A couple of scriptures. Let's go to uh, Matthew, the twenty seventh chapter, and verse fifty and fifty six Matthew twenty seven. Beginning in verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost for the spirit. This is at the end of his life. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And came out of the graves after his resurrection. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now verse 54, When the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministered unto him, and it mentions, Among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. And then to Luke the 23rd chapter. I have a few more references here in connection with this that I want to uh, look at here. Luke twenty-three forty-seven. We saw just a little bit of that, but here's some more that Luke writes from his perspective. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man and all the people came together to that site beholding the things which were done smote their breasts and returned and the women the acquaintances and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off beholding those things and so some from a distance looking on we had all these different experiences that people were experiencing just as today the people when they consider What Jesus went through, they mock it, they scoff it, they ridicule it, they revile it, they disbelieve it, they reject it. And uh, some just stand afar off from that and just look at it uh, from a distance. But here, the centurion, when he saw all the things that he went through, glorified God. And that's the way you and I do. When we look at that and we put it in, in right perspective, then we glorify God. In Matthew, the 27th chapter, Let's back up here just a minute and look at something uh, kind of interesting here. Matthew, the 27th chapter, verse 44. (laughs) The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. And what they cast in his teeth is back up in verse 38. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. And so these two thieves that were crucified with Jesus at first, they kind of reviled him and uh, scoffed at him and ridiculed him. But look at uh, as it progresses here in Mark the 15th chapter and verse 27 and 28. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which said, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So those two thieves were crucified with him to fulfill the scriptures. In Luke the 23rd chapter, verse 39, And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If you be Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do not you fear God, seeing you are in the same condemnation, death? And we indeed justly, because they were thieves, they deserved their death. For we received the due reward of our deeds. But this man, Has done nothing amiss. And he said unto him, Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is where verse 43, we want to clarify this just a little bit and explain why for some of the newer uh, folks that maybe understand this already and maybe not. But Jesus said unto him, unto the one, notice at first the two thieves were scoffing and ridiculing, reviling him. But during the process, one of those was converted to see and to believe and to accept Jesus for who he was and what he was going through and for what all of that meant to him. And Jesus said unto him, now in English here we have, verily, verily I say unto you, comma, today shall you be with me in paradise. So some, not understanding, three days and three nights in the grave, not immediately going to heaven take this to indicate that I tell you today you're going to be with me in paradise today. But we know Jesus didn't go that day. He was three days and three nights dead. And he just promised. So the placement of the comma is what is the tricky place. So if that comma, and if we move that from verily I say unto you, comma, today shall you be with me. Just move it after to today. Verily I say unto you today. I'm telling you right now. You will be with me in paradise. So he offered him future salvation. Now, paradise, uh, I don't know if he's talking about uh, the uh, second resurrection. Or if he's talking about the first resurrection. If he's talking about the first resurrection, he's offering him salvation. Because the thief had asked him, when you come into your kingdom, when you come again, remember me. And Jesus told him, I'm telling you today. You're going to be with me in paradise. Or if he was telling him that uh, that paradise would be in the second resurrection. Or wherever it would be. Uh, he was offering salvation. If we'll turn to Revelation the second chapter. And verse 4. Revelation two four. This is uh, one of the uh, promises that he was making to. Uh, one of the uh, churches there. Revelation 2 verse 7. And um, this is to the uh, uh, Ephesians. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You and I (laughs) have been promised, if we overcome, we're going to be able to partake of that tree of life. Now, we know that our eternal life is inherited by the Holy Spirit that God has given us, and He's not going to take that back because we're going to live forever and ever. That's His promise. We bank on that. We count on that. That's God's not going to take it back from us. But He's going to make it available for us to eat of that fruit of that tree of life in the midst of paradise. So everyone from that one thief and us is going to participate and to share in that. Now, we know in closing here today that uh, Jesus set us a great example. As he faced a horrible death with deep serenity of spirit, calm, confident, he looked beyond his physical death to a glorious eternal spiritual life. He faced death in complete surrender to the supreme will of God. Remember he said earlier when he was in the garden, Father, if it's possible, take this from me, but nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. So he was completely surrendered to the will of God. And we, brethren, individually, I speak for myself and hopefully for you, we've been so awed, so impressed that we've been converted. As we've looked on, as we've watched in our past life we looked at Jesus, we saw Him, what He went through and what He went through not just what He was going through because of one person but for every single person including us that we looked on Him and we watched Him and so we accepted and we glorified. Now many scoff, many mock, many ridicule, many revile, many reject His death but not us. That's one of the most important things that we start off in our sainthood and our believers and our status as Christians that we look first to the death of Jesus Christ and all that it means to us and look beyond that. In John, we're closing here, in John the 12th chapter and verse 32 and 33, Jesus said this, John 12, 32 and 33. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, and he was lifted up by death, will draw, and by life as he ascended and resurrected so, his death and life will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So he looked ahead and he knew that as he was going to be lifted up on that stake, on that staros, and experience six hours of horrible death for every one of us, and then dead three days and three nights, and then come back again and ascend up to heaven and to be there eternally and forever in the spirit with God forever and ever, and us to join him later. So, In closing, we owe so much to Jesus. His death, then his life, now, for what he's doing for us now. We appreciate all of his planning and all of his purpose that he has laid out from before there was ever anything for you and I. What a wonderful thing that we have in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ.